on the show today, more money, more problems, and more cards in three, two, one. is we were almost at 30 episodes and I still don't really understand. Oh, actually, are we at 30 episodes? This might be episode uh, 30. This is episode 30. Oh my god. Okay, we're at 30 episodes and I still don't know how this works. But anyway, hey everybody, thank you for <laughs> coming to Total Double Knockdown. My name is Nathan. I am Alex and we are apparently clueless still. Yep. Uh, you know, and the ironic thing is that actually with the old show, we're well over 300 and probably 50 total episodes that we've done, uh, and uh, still really have no clue how anything works. So we It's a uh, learning exercise. <laughs> well, let's just put it to you this way. We probably shouldn't start a Kickstarter yet for our sub-project, whatever that is. But it's hey, a, 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 an intro generator. It's an intro generator is going to be our Kickstarter? Well, yep. hey, that would be really useful right now. So, first up on the show, we have a weekly muse, uh, which we haven't done in a few weeks, because nothing was amusing enough, apparently. It was weak. Nothing was weekly enough. Nothing was weekly enough uh, for us. But, uh, Alex, you brought this to my attention. Sounds very You're welcome. Yes, thank you. Uh, there are two different TTRPG projects on Kickstarter that recently surpassed one million dollars in their first days of launch and those are uh, sorry i had notes from alex earlier mcdm productions flea mortals very very high production value right there yeah that was good that was good no notes and and monty cook games presents old gods of appalachia there you happy Yes. Great. Every time now. Okay. Please don't. No. Every <laughs> time. Every time. Frickin' time. Uh, they both launched on April 12th. Uh, they both launched on the same day? They are both launched on the same day, and there's still okay. enough market share. At time of this article, which notably April 16th dated, uh, Flea Mortals had raised $1.269 million. Old Gods of Appalachia, $1.076. Uh, but, you know, hey, that's pretty impressive. I assume by the time this uh, podcast is aired, those are probably still uh, running campaigns with a lot more money than they currently have. I was looking, uh, and it looks like Flea Mortals had like 15 days left to go, so I guess they weren't having a full month campaign. Uh, I don't think they need it. No, they shouldn't need it. Uh, could have had a one-day campaign. You could have had a one-day campaign, and you'd be just fine. Speaking of which, I should probably just give you a little bit of an idea. There's, uh, at this point, there would be 20 days left to go on Old Gods of Appalachia, and there would be, was I right about that? 15 days to go on Flea Mortals. So, yeah, uh, they've got time. They've got time. <laughs> Plenty of it. Uh, yeah, and uh, we'll still be going on when this podcast launches. So, you know, I have a feeling I'll have to put up some updated numbers for everybody at that point. But those are really impressive. Uh, I had to then go and look at what those actually were. But uh, when you said MCDM Productions, I was like, oh, I think I've heard of this one. Uh, so that's Matt Colville's company. What's the DM stand for? Dungeon Master, I think. Dungeon Management, I don't know. <laughs> Matt Colville Dungeon Management. Digital Marketing. Maybe it's Digital Marketing. I don't After know. After raising that much money? Probably. Probably, yeah. This is what we put in our portfolio. Look at said Kickstarter. Flea Mortals was one that I had seen promoted actually on YouTube quite a bit. And it was about taking existing monsters in Dungeons and & Dragons and making them 
fun to run and play so that they're not just kind of like monsters you throw into the mix and then you have oh, the party okay. fight them. Uh, making more action-oriented, um, deeper, richer, more interesting monsters from the existing catalog, not new ones, really. Uh, just taking what, what was already there and trying to expand upon it. I remember actually Colville was saying, the only thing is we don't know if there's a market for that. And I think well, there is. There's apparently a large market for it with over a million dollars in the funding. Yeah, especially because the original pledge level that they needed to get to was uh, 600000 So they've doubled what they originally had. Um, now, Old Gods of Appalachia, uh, the role-playing game, I was not very familiar with, uh, but I was familiar with Monty Cook. They're mostly well-known, I think, for Numenera and the Cypher system. They were looking for uh, $50,000, and boy, they've passed that. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know that Old Gods of Appalachia was like a podcast. Yeah, I didn't either until we looked through that article, and it was like, yeah, it's based on this... Uh, podcast horror series yeah so hey i'm at some point maybe i'll have to check that out see if it's any good that is actually going to be based on the cypher system i was looking down through it thinking Ooh, i wonder if it's going to be based off of it and yeah old gods of appalachia is standalone tabletop rpg driven by cypher a hefty core book everything that you need to play for an alternate appalachia in the 1920s Every time I see that, I think to myself, so basically they're trying to make what? Fallout 76, but about 300 years beforehand or something yeah, like that? Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of games that take place in the 1920s that oh, yeah. uh, are in the tabletosphere. I know when we talked to Chris Bissett, um, that was 1920s, right? Great Depression era? Yeah, Great Depression era. Um, and we had someone else on the old show. I forget. Well, Capers. Capers, thank yeah, you. That's what it had, was. That was, again, 1920s gangster era. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's a good um, time. And those were all. I mean, it was a bad time. It was a it, terrible time. Apparently, and there was some crazy stuff going on. Why don't we have, like, stuff. a 1970s, like, disco neon lights, not cyberpunk RPGs? Um, I don't know. I think they passed right over that for the 80s. Is there an the, 80s RPG? There's a lot of 80s stuff. Why? Stuff. Well, Why? When we were when we were on the old show, they had we we had um, lasers and liches. I mean, true, it, it is D and D, but you know, very very eighties aesthetic inspired uh, from the the neon look of it. And then, of course, you have to remember that like Blood Dragon was like an eighties inspired thing. Stranger I, Things I want, was eighties inspired. Like a I want a nineteen nineties like Scholastic Book Fair inspired you want, RPG. You want like a Reading Rainbow as an RPG? No, you remember the book fairs? I know the book fairs. <laughs> uh, and you had those those things. Though, the yeah, that fairs. type of uh, in the uh, the soft drinks from the movie theaters that came in those very very stylish. Uh, cups. You know, you know what it's going to end up being. It's just going to be an RPG set in the mall. It's just going to be the mall RPG. You know, we talked about this before on the old show. I'm pretty sure, but yes, that needs to be a thing. Yep. It's it's no longer a dungeon crawl. It's a it's a mall crawl. A mall crawl. I uh, actually think I watched something about how to design dungeons that have like the loops, and that you can almost think of it as a mall. Like that yeah, it's instead a... of getting like out into the weeds and making it hard to figure out, like if you have levels that you can Yeah, you just get stuck design. in a Macy's. You just get stuck in a Macy's. Or just... or or you could be the infinite IKEA. Yeah, you just do Mall of America basically. And it's just and hey, you know what? Perfect place to have an RPG about zombies, because that's where most zombie yeah. horror is. I mean a little cliche, but you you could do it. Yeah, 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 if you wanted to do that. Well, maybe maybe the mall gets taken over by, like, monsters that want to run it as a mall. And you have to break, you have to break their economic system in order to actually hurt them. You just gotta sell brains. Yeah, I'm thinking, we're, we're, we're well past the zombies. We don't even do the zombies. 
no, no zombies required. You do like mind flayers. And the, oh, great. the whole mall is just filled with mind flayers that have decided, uh, apparently I'm back to Stranger Things, but the, the mall, the mall, the mall flayers. Okay, but you'd still need mall to stop flayers. the entire, yeah. the entire mall would still have brains. Okay, well, they would still have brains, yeah, but for a different reason entirely. Yeah, I mean, sort of. Zombies and mind flayers, the only difference is terrifying levels of difference. Well, the zombies will eat the brains, and the mind flayers will want to sap all the energy from the brains, right? And eat them. Oh, they still, they, they still just Sure, eat them. probably. Anyways, um, Old Gods of Appalachia. Which does not have a mall in it, so, sorry. The Appalachia part of it, too, that is done all over the place. Uh, because, hey, there's a lot of good mythology in the Appalachia, so, so I've heard. Um, I just like the idea of, like, if you set D&D in this world, you could have bards doing the dueling banjos. That'd be great. And then it would summon uh, an Elder Char. But, at any rate, those uh, two systems... Uh, those two RPGs came out same time and in just a handful of days hit a million which is well over what their funding goals were for that now I was looking to just find out if that means that they've hit all of their stretch goals and I can tell you that for Old Gods of Appalachia they actually and I don't know if this was added later just because of how popular it was but they do have one outstanding stretch goal at present at the 1.1 million mark where they're going to add in new uh, NPCs but everything else has been unlocked it does look from the look of it at least that this might have been something added later I don't always understand why you'd want to keep adding stretch goals to a project because that would just make the cost of the project go up. Yeah, th there is a real cautionary tale about adding too much for stretch goals just because uh, you've seen way too many that decided, oh, well, we got way more funding than we thought, so we've got to make this way bigger and better, and then it just ends up taking a lot longer and the finished product is... Um, just too overbloated for what people yeah. originally like i'm gonna assume that if you make a product that people wanted to fund and they already know what the stretch goals are you really don't need to add anything to that they're gonna be happy with paying the money that got them the thing and you can just make more copies of of the the thing you made now flea mortals which i had seen advertised a lot on youtube Matt Colville had been talking quite a bit about this. A lot of reward tiers. Uh, they're talking a lot about goblins. So, I mean, I guess that's that's a thing. Goblins are almost always run in games, aren't they? Uh, I try to not run them unless I have a fun reason to do it, personally. I just don't really care for them. And it's just, they're always, again, they're always in games, so why? Do something different. Right. <laughs> Uh, the, the examples that they kind of give are mostly like the Queen of Goblins. Uh, not just any goblin, but a Queen of Goblins. I don't run campaigns because no one wants that. But yeah. uh, do you see the benefit in having uh, more detailed or more options for uh, monsters when you're running a game? Has that sure, I... I always like more options for monsters because then you can make it not feel like every other campaign that you've always run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's a little different. This goblin is this goblin isn't your standard goblin. One of the things that they mentioned in Flee Mortals, I did the I did a callback. There you go. If a monster is big enough and bad enough to challenge the entire party on its own, or if it just makes sense for the queen of the goblins to be better than a normal goblin boss, we make a named unique action-oriented version of that monster. This is something we originally developed in the chain of Asheron. The Black Iron Pact was the first test for this design. Uh, so, yeah. Basically a prototype or a template that you can use to make these more unique. Maybe you could think of it a little bit more like in Diablos. Remember, there would be like the unique monsters that you would come across, and they would have yeah, the named ones. ones. Yeah, the specific ones. 
So a little bit like that, but options for D&D. I think our takeaway, though, from this, just to kind of wrap this part of the conversation up for the next one, is that, uh, yeah, Kickstarter is still alive and well. (laughs) Apparently, Tabletop is one of the biggest sectors on there currently, so... Along with video gaming, which also gets quite heavily funded. Um, But we'll be interested to Star Citizen! One day Star Citizen will uh, actually come out in its full version which, who knows? You just need to spend another few hundred million dollars. They'll get there. But uh, we will try to get an update together when the campaigns close to let people know where they land, just because I'd be interested to know how high up they go for... I guess I'll do it one more time. Flee, mortals! And, uh, oh, God, there. I hope you're happy, because I'm certainly not. For the record, Star Citizen has raised over $400 million. And is so, still not out. As of November of last year. And still still technically not. Still a decade away from publishing. We think. At least. Yeah. So, following up on that, it got us to thinking about something... That I guess we should probably do. I guess we should probably do a crit think about. Sure. Uh, let's let's Why say not? let's say it's a crit think, which is how do smaller projects survive on the crowdfunding platforms? Because the thing that we did touch on a little bit in that first segment is that Monty Cook Games, MCDM, have already well established fan bases communities, um, and money to some degree to, to work on the advertising they've been in the industry. Um, they're pretty well-established entities that are able to come in and, and do a crowdfunding campaign successfully. And one of the reasons is because they do have the ability to and the knowledge of how to uh, do the funding the advertising, and also they have the built-in fan base. So the right. the question is, is that let's say you're a, a smaller designer, a developer that doesn't have those resources. You uh, mean I don't, I, I'm not worth a million dollars? If you were worth a million dollars, Alex, would you just sing that Bare Naked Ladies song all over the place? No, I'd never sing it. You wouldn't just want to start singing if I had a million dollars? No. Well, I would have a million dollars. Oh, fair enough. You wouldn't have... <laughs> yeah. Thanks for throwing off my, my train of You're thought You're welcome. There. I appreciate it. <laughs> Since the uh, Kickstarter world and really just crowdfunding as a general source, maybe we can discuss that a little bit more. There's a lot of bandwidth that goes out with these large projects that seem to kind of like overshadow oh, yeah. uh, some some of the smaller ones that aren't necessarily bad or anything. They're just, they don't have a lot of resources to throw around. What could you do to kind of get yourself out there? And You have to do a lot more actively. Um, I know some of these bigger projects can afford like actual marketing, for instance. Right. Or if you are an established personality, who has your own YouTube channel with mm-hmm. how many followers? Oh, I think Colville has like 600,000. Uh, yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of followers. And followers, for instance, or subscribers, uh, is only part of it. There, you know, a lot of traffic on YouTube is not even subscribers. Yeah, yeah. So you figure those videos are getting multiple million views, mm. I assume. Oh yeah, I've never I've never watched any of his stuff. So, right. Um, the uh, the thing is, is that I think a lot of people when they say, "Hey, I'll put out a Kickstarter," and then wonder why they don't get any funding for it, they don't realize the amount of time that you have to put into it to start. Um, yeah. And uh, as I happen to be going through the Flea Mortals, okay, that's the last time Kickstarter. Thanks. Uh, I I look down toward recommended. Because this is always a good place to kind of get your name out there. Because if you have a similar project to something that's in the space, 
uh, it would probably be pretty useful for you. And so I see like four recommended pieces. Uh, these do happen to all be D&D 5e projects, which makes sense considering that it is a 5e project that we're jumping off of. Um, but then again, all of these are also like very well funded, like the funded in 15 minutes uh, to six hours mark. They're, they're not small projects. Uh, right. Getting out there uh, is very tricky, especially if you're developing for something that isn't an established project like, like Dungeons & Dragons, too. Uh, right. And we've talked to a lot of people that have their own RPGs that don't jump off of this system. That's the other thing, too, is that the old gods of Appalachia and Flea Mortals are working off of systems that have already established themselves. You have Cypher and you have D&D. Um, people are already familiar with those. They know what they're getting into with that. You've already sort of done uh, inherent uh, community building just by having the systems that people know and right. like. Uh, so how am I getting out there if I have just uh, a system that uh, doesn't use even a D20? Like, maybe I don't even have a D20. Maybe I have a D5. I, I have a D5 system. So you're making up a new dice for your new system. Exactly. I want okay. the, the reverse of a D20, a D5. <laughs> Instead of 5 percentiles, it's 20 percentiles. <laughs> All right, then. There you go. Well, I mean, as you as you mentioned, we've talked to a lot of people on our last show who are running Kickstarters and launching games. And a lot of that ends up being, you know, um, a lot of it, reaching out and trying to get people to look at your stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, you find your podcast, you find your reviews, you get your review copies out, uh, you do the podcast circuit as it works. Uh, colloquially, colloquially known. Can't say that word. Right there you go. My throat's still a little under the weather from my cold. Um, so you know, you find that stuff. You, I, I surmise that you would do as much advertising as you can reasonably afford for your target demographic, like yeah. promoting stuff. Um, right. And then, like, uh, one thing that you can do is, like, live plays, actual plays. People really enjoy those for some reason. I don't. <laughs> well, yeah, and when you had the ability to, like, just go to game stores, which are less, less and less prevalent these days, but when you had a local game store and you could start from a very small cluster of people playing your game, uh, and taking it there and saying, hey, you want to try this? Uh, we had several people that were on the show previously that talked about doing that, uh, going to the, the libraries, the game stores, stuff like that, and actually just running the game for people. One, it helps with playtesting, which is always sure. good. And for feedback, because feedback is going to be very useful. But also, just the general notion that you have to get people involved Right. Uh, and know what your thing is well ahead of time. Well, that's the other thing, too. It's generally for tabletop is you're not going to be going to Kickstarter with going, hey, we've got this idea for a game. It's pretty much, hey, you we've got this game. Yeah. It's pretty much done. Right. Uh, that's the other thing that you see with a lot of unsuccessful Kickstarters is that whatever they took for a time frame between when they started and when they went to Kickstarter, they probably needed to double it. I'm trying to think what the time frame was for so many of the people that have been on. Usually they, they talk about like a year or two, uh, really from initial concept to, to getting out there. But you pretty much have to have, one, a finished product, but then two... You have to have a community already that is waiting for the thing to be on Kickstarter. Because Kickstarter's yeah. not going to promote it for you. <laughs> like, Not like, really. No, they don't really do that. They provide the platform for you to do the crowdfunding. But they don't do much in the way of promotion unless you end up on like the recommended tabs or something like that because the keywords happen to match. I don't know of a lot of crowdfunding 
places like Indiegogo or any of those that do much in the way of, of partnerships for smaller creators. Um, yeah. They might do something with larger outlets uh, because they're larger outlets and they bring traffic to the website. But to do it for smaller ones, uh, you can always try to reach out and see what they have for you know, services or, or help. But you can't really rely on them being the way to get your your thing noticed. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things where it's um, larger projects help bring people to the site. Yeah. But those larger projects definitely overshadow those small product uh, projects, yeah. where you've got your avatar, you know, RPG. Yeah. And where you've got these two now. It's like wow they bring a lot of eyes and a lot of attention to the website but let's be honest if you're looking on the website for avatar uh the last airbender rpg are you gonna stick around and find another rpg do you have time to invest in potentially playing another rpg right now that's that's another important point to make when we talk about businesses, there's the idea that there are certain businesses that are sort of insulated, i.e. people go specifically to this place. They're not shopping around. And that's not even in a digital landscape. Uh, that happens in, like, brick-and-mortar stores as well. Sometimes there are ones that don't really interact with other places. You might say that there's uh, this thing that I set up and, uh, you know, maybe it will bring money into the local economy, but are the people going to do this thing also going to uh, go out to lunch at one of the restaurants? Are they going to uh, go and do shopping around in town? The one that was up this way that they were worried about was the, um, the racetrack. There is, like, the um, Appalachian sort of uh, mountain trail racetrack, and... The concern was that you were going to just have people come up with, like, their cars, uh, the big fancy cars, and want to just run around the racetrack and then go home. And there wasn't really going to be any synergy with any of the other things that were going on in town. And so when you get onto a Kickstarter, uh, you have to ask yourself, like, yeah, where are they going for this? <laughs> Uh, and how do I promote it? Like, what are your keywords? And what would, you know, if people are going on there for one thing instead of another, like, what, what are they going on for? Um, yeah. As I was looking through the recommended tab for Old Gods of Appalachia, I noticed that more 5e stuff even comes up. Because <laughs> 5e is the most popular. So imagine being a system that is not well-connected to 5e you know your own brand new system and not a well-known name yeah and the thing is i saw one on here i saw a couple but i saw one that i said <laughs> wait that i don't think that's uh that's dnd related called tokyo otherscape which is a mythic cyberpunk rpg great tag words there mythic cyberpunk people are going to be looking for that no know how to market and to, and to sell your game that's something people are interested and it funded in 38 minutes so it did mm. very well and i was nice. like oh it's not related to 5e and then i was like wait powered by city of mist oh that would be that would probably be the reason <laughs> city of mist also incredibly popular in the space right um yeah, it's it's tough because I think not only with the individual projects and large creators, but also the fact that the market share for RPGs as a general framework is very much striated to a handful of games that the majority of the population are just used to and play. It's The Vampire, The Masquerade, it's your uh, Dungeons & Dragons, City of Mist, uh, Call of Cthulhu all of those a lot of big names big names and a lot of big developers and creators in that space that also make content for them and so they can bring that audience in and it kind of reinforces as a feedback loop that uh, that funding 
it's hard when you are small. And unfortunately, the most I can really suggest is that you do have an active community, that you do give yourself plenty of space before you go to Kickstarter, and that you, you're you able to know how digital marketing works, because we're not good at it. I can tell you that much. No. We're well, bad us, at it. personally, we're terrible at it. We're terrible at it, yeah. Um, oh, that's fine. We're here to have fun-ish. Are, are we? I wonder. I don't know. Some days I'm curious. Are we doing this for fun? Meh, who knows anymore. This might actually be based on a project, but there was another one called Soul Burner RPG, which was a scorched post-death exploration. But again, actually, there is apparently a property that this is based. It's a standalone bridge between Morkborg and Necronautilus uh, TTRPGs. I've Not... heard of Morkborg, I think. Yeah. Maybe, so, it sounds familiar. Could just be an orc thing. Granted, and I think this also gives us a good insight, is that their goal was very low. It was 2500 is what they needed to make. So they did fund in four hours, but, you know, and, and they're doing very well. They're at over 8,000, but they were able to make their goal very, very low in order to hit that. Yeah. If they were trying to get the 600k, the 600k that they needed for Flea Mortals, uh, this would not get funded. No, not even close. No, and I don't think anything they could have done would have changed that. <laughs> um, so. Get Mount Colville to shill your game for you. That would be something. Yeah, get get to uh, get Matt Mercer, and say that uh, that hey. Fox Machina would have liked this. Just gotta go in there and do the Burger King-style guerrilla marketing. Here's what we'll try, because uh, this is a crit thing, so we've got to do a little bit of critical thinking involved in here. Oh boy. Oh uh, no. So, okay, we've got our project. We're going to make a widget project, just a, a random one. It's gonna be called uh, Pebblecore, the RPG. It's an RPG. It sounds like also, a music genre. It is. What is Pebblecore? It is literal rock music. It's it's, <laughs> it's literal rock. Music. Literal okay. rock music. Yeah, but it's an RPG about rock music, and you use okay. pebbles uh, in order to. There's they're they're like fashion pebbles that you use. You throw out the pebbles. And uh, it determines how good your song is, and it's it's that's how you create a literal rock opera. So great! So Green Day would be proud. We get to do this wonderful rock opera uh, with uh, with Pebblecore. So how are we getting it out there? How are we make? How are we getting people uh, involved in this? Do I have to just take like random pebbles and just put them places like it's an no, ARPG no. I mean... or yeah? No, no, we gotta throw rocks through people's windows with notes that have the QR code on them. I think that's going to cost us more money than the, uh... No, we just get make. get some kids to do it. <laughs> just getting kids to have the liability of the pebble yeah. car? <laughs> it's like, listen, we got nothing to do with that. Sorry about your window. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, we don't know what it is, but hey, while you're at it... Thanks, thanks, little old lady. Here, here's a QR code. I know you know how to scan those. Let's just give that to work with. Okay, that's a terrible idea. Let's not do that. Um, I tried, man. I tried. We tried. It was the best. You'd, thing hit, the, you'd hit the news cycle. They'd post your QR code in their articles. Oh yeah. And you'd get so many hits. You know, yeah. Actually, that's not a bad idea because you could get viral marketing going if you could. You could make something good enough to hit the news. Um, you just have a pile. Ooh, you have a pile of your pebbles, your stone-washed pebbles, and you just okay. put. Yeah, and and you have symbols on them. Okay, just a random. Maybe maybe it is the QR code, but you just stamp the QR code on a bunch of the pebbles, right? And you put them in the in the center of a town. You just like drop a bunch of them like in the center of um of like a roundabout in town. Just so what you're saying is we need to make a pebble monolith. We need to make a pebble monolith just out of the blue in just in some town 
one of the big hubs. You put it there, and then everybody's going to be asking questions about, like, what is this? How do, what, what is it? Where do I go? And we've got to do, like, all of the tricks from, like, the ARPGs. And we'll make it, like, a, a scavenger hunt. And they have to figure out what, what's going on. And it eventually leads to information about the about Pebblecore. And that will tell them that it's coming to Kickstarter in, in 2025. I That's how Thanks. we do it. We're talking about indie rock, but real. There's nothing uh, more indie rock than Pebblecore. I gotta go. Anyway, this is a crit thing, so we're going to pass the question on to you. How would you do a viral marketing campaign for your indie RPG? Uh, subliminal messages as people sleep. That would probably work. Or superliminal messages of, hey, fund the thing. Hit an audio. Yeah. Hit an audio. Too. Let us know what you think. How would you uh, promote something if you were doing that maybe or what do you think about creators big and small sharing the same platform yeah because uh there is a a real concern that there's going to be just so many large projects or enough large projects that there's going to be no daylight for anything else to grow Finally on the show, we have a Mechanically Speaking, uh, because Alex, I don't know if I mentioned it on the last episode, I did, but I had been playing Rage. Shadow Legends. Not Shadow Legends. Rage. I almost said Raid. Rage. Yeah, because we were just talking about Raid off camera. That's right. But Rage, the original, and what I- Against the Machine? Yes, you do rage against the machine. We're just going to go through every joke about this we can. Yeah, absolutely. Against the dying of the light. Uh, yeah, we, we do all of those things. Red like my rage? Yep, absolutely. Okay. I think that's all the ones I can get out of me. Yeah, wait till, wait till I go back and tell you about a game that was literally just called Gun. There was, there was literally a game called Gun. Isn't that Mario's neutral special in Smash? No. <laughs> no, it's not. No, thinking of something else. Anyway, yep. Rage Shadow Legends uh, is uh, is a game that came out from id, uh, and um, it was it was a shooter. I mentioned it when we were talking about decorative door syndrome last week, but uh, there was something else I had forgotten about the game that got me to thinking. And it is sort of in the corner of the game. It's not really a big thing, but it was a card game. They actually had a card game you played in the game. And you could collect these cards that were characters from the game. And they had power and they had health. And you would pit your deck against somebody else. Or actually, I think it was just the one dude or two dudes. Was it like magic? Or like Hearthstone? Probably closer to Hearthstone. Did you ever play Hearthstone? uh, I think I tried. But I did not enjoy it. <laughs> or I didn't really get into it. Um, I'll tell you how the mechanics of this one work. Sure. Okay. Yeah, do that. Tell me how this digital card game works. Okay, the digital inside card... Inside of Rage. Inside of Rage. Shadow Legends. Uh, in Rage, basically, they would give you these cards. They would have characters on them. And the idea is that they're, some of them are more synergetic than others. If they have, like, the mutants. Or if they have the... Uh, the, the different clans of the bandits or the, the raiders and stuff or the townspeople. But anyway, neither here nor there. really there. missed an opportunity there to call them, instead of raiders, ragers. Uh, did they do that in the sequel? I want to say that that was a thing. But uh, anyway, they uh, never miss an opportunity. Ed. Point is, the way this game works is that you, you have a certain number of cards, And you can construct your deck with points at the very beginning. There's, like, easy to hard, and there are more points that you can use to construct your deck. Everything has a point cost. Yeah, I was going to say, I assume every card has a point value then. Yes, exactly. And you can have four cards out at any given time. Uh, You flip one over at the very beginning of your turn. That becomes your primary card, and then one's past that. 
your opponent does the same thing and can attack uh, if they're in melee range, the card directly opposite them. If they are a ranged attacker, they could technically attack other cards that are out in play. And then there are other things like the, the vehicles will um, essentially do aggro, so anything that can target it will. Um, every one of these cards has two basic valuations. They have a power and they have a health. Uh, okay. Your power is basically the damage that you do, although I, I got the feeling like this is a little bit rock, paper, scissors. Some damage types work better on others, etc. And then your health does not come back like in magic. It it continually goes down as you get hit. Okay. And so it's like a combination of magic and hearthstone. Sort of like that. If, we'll go with if that. If they had a... Uh... A little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh card flipping action. <laughs> a little bit like that, yeah. Um, it's very rudimentary, but it is stuck in there, and then you can use the in-game currency to buy some of the better cards from different sure. vendors. Booster the, packs, get them. Yeah. The thing about it is, though, is that for my money, I realized that it was kind of pointless to play with the system because all I really could do... Uh, at least in the starting area or the first the first part of the game because I forgot there was a second part entirely but um, then the first part of the game is that there's one person you can play this with and what you get for you know beating him is just some money but like the number of times that you'd have to beat him to get back the money that you'd pay for all of the special cards takes up a whole lot of your game <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like there's there's a lot. Like you can, you can pay a thousand of the in-game currency for some of the better cards, but the most you can get in that first area, at least on the hard, is like a hundred and twenty-five. Oh, that yeah. So, mm. so the so the synergy here doesn't really work. Now, it's possible when you get to the second area, which I haven't bothered to do right now. Maybe there's another person who plays this game that has higher stakes or whatever and other cards but at no point and I don't remember this originally when I played this did the card game really come into play with the main game right so it's just kind of a side element it's a side hustle thing that you can do and there are a lot of different kinds of mini games in, in a lot a lot of games that we could talk about, but I, I really wanted to touch on the card games because they really do have to put in a lot of time to figure out all the cards and the mechanics of this. Like card games are very mechanically heavy to implement into a game that yeah. traditionally doesn't have card elements in it at all. So yeah. So I keep thinking to myself, you have to be able to implement it in a way that makes sense for the world itself. And so Rage didn't necessarily do that very well, but there are a couple other examples of big ones. Pazak from KOTOR and, of course, Gwent from The Witcher, uh, which became like whole things into and of themselves, but also had some mechanical component to the main game storyline and characters as, as it went through. Um, yeah, I know in the beginning of The Witcher, which I'd been playing recently, Gwent was like, yeah, I'm going to talk to this guy and learn how to play Gwent. I was like, okay, I guess I can do that, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And Gwent is, is a very addictive game. It's the reason why it became like its own standalone thing. Says you, I didn't like Gwent. You didn't like Gwent? No. What was your I problem not, with it? I don't like any of it. None of it? You just don't like it at all? I don't typically like card battlers. Okay. Like, yes, I will play Magic the Gathering with you, but that's not the same thing as, like, a, a computer card battler. Fair me. enough. Fair enough. That's um, a whole different thing. It's like my deck in, in Magic is, like, 60 cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's a big deck. It's not, like, it's not, like, 20 cards. Yeah. And, like, four different cards, and then you have... You don't, don't have know. tourney decks. You don't. You no, know, yeah. I don't really do 45 card decks. No. 
But then again, I never really did small decks either. I, I like to have large decks that I could try pulling from. Um, they're not Yeah, fast. no, I am... Um... I don't know. I don't like that. Like in Gwent, I think it was I want to do all the things on my first turn and forget that I have like a second turn after that, like the second round. Right. Right. And so it's like you have a, such a small deck to pull from, and then you have to make it last like three rounds. Yeah. And like I don't like that. Hard. Yeah. Um, and I don't really remember if they changed the mechanics around a little bit because I did play Thronebreaker for a good portion. Well, Witcher Thronebreaker, which was like a, a top-down game, but the actual battles in it were based on Gwent. So, so, but they did change some of the rules. They expanded upon them a little bit, which I didn't necessarily think you needed, but um, I, thought, I, I was like, no, you can just keep it simple. But I understand they needed to flesh it out more for the Gwent and for Thronebreaker, etc. Um... But the, the thing that was useful about Gwent is that you would get cards a lot of times by actually doing quests. They would be quest rewards, so they are right, integrated Right, just what I wanted for a game I don't want to play. <laughs> and then there were characters you could play Gwent with that uh, would give you unique dialogue or uh, give you favorable impressions upon those characters or could move certain storylines uh, forward in, in a different way. Uh, unique dialogue, that kind of thing. And so, the mechanically speaking that I wanted to do today was mostly just about that. Uh, how you can have a card game actually interact with the main game itself. Yeah, I think there's a few ways you can do that obviously Gwent is your example I haven't played enough where I have found someone I need to play Gwent with to unlock a, a different thing but on the same note uh, or a different note it's not a card babbler but for instance Valhalla Assassin's Creed mm. you have your flighting I don't know if you've played Valhalla not yet it's a war rhymes it's like a oh. kind of like a Norse rap battle, <laughs> right? Um, but <laughs> no, they're they're interesting. It's uh, using rhyme and rhythm. Oh, okay. So you go back and forth, but that interacts with the game because you actually like by doing those you increase your charisma. Oh, okay. which has effects on other parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think doing something where either maybe you have a, a notoriety level or a fame level that's interacted with your uh how good you are at this game mm -hmm. for you could be interesting like yeah. maybe if you're really good at this game people know you as a uh, renowned uh card player or whatever card game it is right. um or you know those special dialogue options different merchants or whatever or discounts on cards or things like that but that still only interacts with mostly just the card game itself I and I I might have remembered this from a game but I can't remember which one there was a if you had a case where you can get an audience with somebody that's usually un, not uh, able to be interacted with but they'll only talk to the best card players or the ones that, that have won in a tournament. Because there's usually some kind of a tournament in those. I, I think in KOTOR there was like a, a Pazak tournament that you could do and you could beat some of the best. And then you would get to talk to like the best of the best. And the, like the only way you really interact with them, uh, several of the characters, the only way you interact with them is if you're able to play Pazak with them entirely gotcha. um which is uh, fine uh pazak was uh easy enough to kind of like pick up because you're just trying to hit a number basically <laughs> um, right yeah but and and you could play it and you could learn it on the ship and you could talk to your team members about it and it was a social exercise for some of them and uh, I think you actually improved your relationship with, I want to say, Atten in the second one when he would teach you Pazek and you would uh, deepen bonds with him. 
Sure. So, so there are some social elements to it that you can implement. Uh, it can feed back. Um, but that also determines how much you want it to be part of your game entirely. Um, yeah. I feel like in Rage, that was an absolute afterthought. That, hey, we're coming into a landscape. Because this came out in, like, I want to say it was 2013, 2012 or something like no that. Idea. I don't remember. But I didn't play it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, now I have to actually look up what the date was. But anyway, it was coming into a landscape where I'm sure there was a lot of interest in having some kinds of mini games in your game. And I don't mind video, uh, mini games in video games. I think the difference for me is that if you're going to give me a mini game mm. that neither has nothing to do with story or very little, or just set apart from it, or that breaks the pacing of the game mm -hmm. to like, oh yes, I'm playing The Witcher, I'm investigating big monsters and all these like murders and other things, mm -hmm. and then dealing with supernatural creatures, but oh yeah, let me, let me just sit down to play a card game for an hour. Yeah, and it can't be too deep in the weeds when you get there. Uh, which is why I think a lot of them end up being fairly simplistic. It's the reason why Gwent got more rules when it was a standalone game, uh, because trying to do everything they might have wanted to do uh, out of the gate would have taken too much time. That didn't stop people from taking half their time playing Witcher as, the, as Gwent. <laughs> but uh, Rage, Shadow Legends, came out in 2010. Oh, see? You were wrong. It was not 2013. It was earlier than that. But this was around the same time as Red Dead Redemption, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, Mass Effect 2, and God of War. And I'm starting to think to myself, wait, I think some of them did have mini-games in them. I want to say. Uh, like, I think Mass Effect has something. Red Dead, I know, has some mini-games in it. So they were probably trying to add something into the space that was unique uh, before before anything. Um, now, one card game, though, I just remembered from a game that did very much have a functional reason to be there was a real-world card game, and that's Blackjack in Fallout New Vegas. Oh, because you could gamble for money. You could gamble for money and eventually to get the uh, sweet keys for the individual casinos, which was which was very useful. Um, and yeah, you could get a lot of money out of it, like uh, serious amounts, especially if you're luck skill. But that interacted with the main game because it also was tied to your luck skill or yeah. your luck stat uh, directly. Um, so if you wanted to win at the casinos, you knew that you needed your luck to be 10. <laughs> basically makes sense and, to me and th but of course i think i think obsidian knew that people would do that because you will get cut off at a certain point from continuing to play blackjack but that will not stop you from saying oh my god i could win like 10,000 caps if i go to all the casinos or 15,000 caps some some ludicrous number if you get to all the casinos and the dead money expansion oh yes the dead money expansion um but, uh, so that was functional just because it actually did get you money from it. Uh, and it was a game that people are familiar with. Oh, and then there was also Caravan, which was a game I could never understand. Yeah, I never, never tried it. I, I did, and I did not know why I was winning or losing. I could <laughs> never figure out the, how that worked. <laughs> but everybody wanted to play it with me, so I guess that wasn't a very successful one. Now... Now, here's the question that I want to pass along, because one thing that we usually do on Mechanically Speaking is we talk about these, these game uh, mechanics and kind of lend them back to what they could be in a, in a tabletop game. So, here's the thing. In, a, like, a Dungeons & Dragons, you can buy decks of playing cards, game sets, etc. Sure. But at no point have I ever seen people literally stop when they want to use them and actually play a card game. Yeah, well, here's the thing, Nathan. Let's say you take a set of dragon chests. 
Sure. On your character as as a as a game thing. I have. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to say to your GM, me in this case, go, "Hey, I want to play a game of Dragon Chess with this person." Mm-hmm. It then becomes, "All right, well, your character is skilled at this, but we don't have the rules for it, perhaps, or maybe what we do is we whip out a chessboard." And we play a game of chess. Now, here's the thing with that. Your character is skilled at a level that you are not skilled at for chess. Right. And I am skilled at a level that the NPC you're playing against is not skilled at for chess. Right. So, it doesn't... It becomes a... Well, now it's you and I actually just playing chess instead of D&D. Right, because we're not doing the role-playing part of this anymore. Right. We're doing us instead. We're doing actual chess. We're doing actual chess, yeah. So, like, that is not a game of chance, I assume, if it's based off of real chess. Yeah. Um, in games of chance, it's a little different than games of skill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to look up and see if dragon chess is actually a thing. Um... There is a uh, there is apparently dragon chess as a chess variant, which is the three dimensional chess variant. Yeah, no, thank you. So there you go. Nope. Uh, <laughs> apparently, in Dragon Magazine, they had mentioned something about like what it is and uh, how it works. Uh, so hey, yeah, I guess if you uh, want to play that, but I don't really like playing 4D chess or anything like that. Uh, and I think most of the time when you see it, it's just a dragons inspired version of I'm just chess. gonna I'm gonna do it right now I'm gonna make the Mobius chess oh that would be pretty great that would be Moby chess great. yeah <laughs> exactly oh hey there is actually a whole thing about dragon chess this is kind of interesting though Alex so dragon chess three-dimensional fantasy chess variant which was created by Gary Gygax um from uh, obviously Dungeons and Dragons fame, introduced in the 1985 issue of Dragon Magazine, and those three levels are supposed to represent air, land, and then the subterranean world for your upper, your middle, and your lower uh, okay. boards. So sure, yeah, and so then you have yeah, so you have different levels like that, and then they have to interact. Oh, you can even get sets for it. That is just lovely. Um, Great. That's terrific. And Anyways. God, that looks like a whole lot of pieces. It's like a full chess set on each one of the boards. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, that's a lot to look through. Anyway, uh, so the other problem is from a, um, from a time management standpoint... Uh, saying that we're going to just spend the next hour playing the dragon chess. <laughs> Instead of doing the Dungeons and Dragons. Like, Dungeons and Dragons can take a long time as it stands. Yeah. We probably don't need to then get into the whole thing where we now have to also worry about, you know, playing this other game in the middle of playing that game. Yeah, it would, it would not be ideal. So what you need to do if you're going to put a card game or uh, any kind of game really into a tabletop game as like the little mini games is that those mini games have to be fast and they have to be simple. Yeah, I think in a lot of things like games of luck, you could just do a dice roll sure. and either have a table of outcomes, for instance, sure. or even just a well, whoever gets the higher roll wins. Right. You could take um you could take any game that's like considered a micro game or a, like a anything like that that's usually pretty quick uh to play something that's like a 10 minute game. Um one that actually spurs to mind that actually would work really nicely for Dungeons and Dragons actually is Suro. Uh because Suro is real quick, very easy to understand and does have everything to do with dragons. So you could uh, you could just say that's your dragon chess and whip out your Suro board for a second. Here's your little dragon piece. Here, put the pieces down and follow the line and until some until one person is still on the board and everybody else has gone off the board. 
<laughs> it's not going to take a very long time. At some point, maybe I'll bring Suro over to play with you because oh I think boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to understand. But oh, it, good. It's basically, it's like a board where everybody gets a starting location with their little dragons, and then you put tiles on the open spaces of the board that have lines that go from one end to another, and the last person that is still on the board without getting pulled off the board is uh, the winner, basically. The idea is to not is to not have your flight path end up going off the board. Gotcha. And it's uh, it's very quick. It probably takes a good ten minutes or so to play a game. Um, but that would actually work out really well. Anything like that, I could see. But yeah, very deeply involved games. You no. want you right want want to play a Monopoly in the middle of the whole thing. I mean, you all. could just yeah, you could just stop. You wouldn't want to play Monopoly. No, no. And if we were, it would be in like an RPG based on Wall Street. <laughs> no one wants that either. That goes right there with the mall RPG. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's better than Wall Street. Yeah, it, it is. I think that the mall sounds great. If if we're going to have a monolith to capitalism, I'd rather have the mall than, than Wall Street. Exactly. <laughs> Let's do that. All right. Uh, and uh, hey, folks out there, if you have an idea for a game that might lend itself well as a mini game in an RPG, let me know. I'd be—I'm uh, always on the lookout for quick, simple games that are easy to pick up and play that maybe you could implement into uh, something larger or grander in scale. Exactly. Yeah, and then find out if winning that game gets you valuable information for your party. Uh, if not, why are you playing <laughs> in the first place? I uh, like money. Well, yeah, if there's money on the line, then yes. How are you ever going to be able to afford the airship if you don't get some gambling money in there? Exactly. Well, that has done it for another episode of Total Pebble Knockdown, the literal rock opera. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Alex, if people would like to find out more information about the upcoming Kickstarter for Pebblecore, where could they go? You can find out more about that over at TotalPebbleKnockdown.com. That's right. And while you're there, check our Patreon banner. You can find full video episodes of the show that come out before any of the individual ones do, as well as early releases of a lot of our other content over there, and the premium content, stuff that doesn't get into the show. Ooh, Hooray! Fun. The other crap that doesn't make it in. You can find Today's it. content brought to you by Raid, Shadow Legends. <laughs> Oh, man, if we got, like, a sponsorship deal and all we had to do is do it in our premium content that no one watches, <laughs> that would be great. Well, then then the patrons are just paying for an ad, so... They won't. They wouldn't even watch it. It's fine. <laughs> you know what? You just make a separate video that says, this is our Raid Shadow Legends ad. <laughs> and then they can watch it if they want. Um... Uh, in the meantime, though, you can also find our podcast on every podcast app known to man. And if you are over on Anchor, uh, you can also leave a voice clip if you uh, have any questions or comments on the recent episodes that we've done. Uh, that would be terrific. And you can also find us on social media. I'm at Citanium. I'm at EXP Limited. And the show is at Pebble Knockdown. Almost at the old one. Almost, Almost said a Mandela Delphi. effect. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh, I thought Delve died five years ago. 20 years ago. One years ago. Wow, not nearly as many years ago as I thought. I said 20. Oh, 20? 20 years ago. The Delve is dead. See Long what? live the Senate. It died somewhere between 20 and one years ago, which is, we rolled a die, you got a I crit, hit. you you got a crit, and I got an epic fail, and now... <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had. That's why I said one, you said 20. Anyway, thank you all for joining us on this episode, and we will see you on the next one. Goodbye for now. Bye.
Look what I got for D&D. Uh, Trapper Keeper. Is that Lisa Frank? <laughs> Don't you love this? Look at this thing. I was Why like, did you get they still have tra Trapper Keepers. A Trapper Keeper for D&D. Why did I get this? Because yes. I saw that they were making Trapper Keepers, and I was like, well, obviously I gotta get one. See, the thing is, Alex, I realized I got one for, uh, for fun, but I really needed one for work. So I got another Trapper Keeper. <laughs> You just use the one you used got for fun as the one for work, and they'd be like, "What is this?" And be like me. I was like, one day I'm gonna walk into work, and they're like, "What is this? This is my professional trapper keeper." 